This is the Police Canine Training Podcast with Jeff Meyer. Join us for each episode to get real-world advice from canine professionals who have experience on the street. Each episode will focus on up-to-date information that you can use on the street. Spend about 30 minutes with us each week as part of your training day. Our goal at Police Canine Training is to make every canine team be the best they can be. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Police Canine Training Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about something that I believe that a lot of handlers have the capability of doing that they're not doing. Um, That's to find guns and shell casings. So if you're working a patrol dog, and maybe you do patrol and tracking, uh, not dope, obviously, um, but if, if your patrol dog doesn't have another odor on him, doing maybe patrol, maybe patrol tracking evidence, something like that, um, I don't think there's a reason in the world why you can't start putting uh, additional odor on that dog, and that would be guns and shell casings. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about my personal experience. So a lot of people who have been listening to me for a long time kind of know my story. But in a nutshell, I worked patrol dogs for 18, 19 years. And then I got lucky, and uh, I was asked to start a detection canine unit for our downtown area. They had always had bomb dogs out at the airport. But they wanted some bomb dogs assigned to headquarters for a lot of the special events and just to be more more readily available when the bomb squad got calls and stuff. So their focus when their, meaning our command, when they thought of this unit, uh, their focus was bomb dogs. I got lucky and was asked to, to start it and put it together and kind of shape it. And one of the things from the very beginning that I told the commander was besides bombs, I was going to have our bomb dogs find guns and shell casings. He was mildly interested at with the time, but his focus on was to have bomb dogs that were available. Didn't really care that much about the guns and shell casings. We got the dogs, got them up, got them trained, certified, and after that, that mission was up and going, I started spending a lot of time working on the, our dogs finding guns and shell casings. A bomb dog, it naturally is going to find guns and shell casings. Powders are part of it. Obviously, you know, when a, a gun is fired, the, the it's going to change the dynamics and the odor in some manner. I'm not a scientist, but what I can tell you is that when you put out guns that have been recently fired for bomb dogs, they really don't have a very hard time finding them. Some dogs will generalize it right away. Some you might have to expose them a few times and then they understand that's one of their odors. So the powder composition of whatever is left over after the gun's been fired has to be very, very similar to what it is before when we've imprinted the dogs. Because I've not really seen too many bomb dogs that can't find fired guns and shell casings. But at the time in our area here, even though there's quite a few bomb dogs, we started training with bomb dog groups. Nobody was really uh, pushing the whole idea of searching for guns and shell casings. But uh, I went ahead and I really imprinted our dogs on it a lot. And I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, how we get our dogs, especially finding shell casings. But once I got the our dogs up and running, you know, I mentioned to my command, I said, hey, we actually did a, a certification for gun dogs. And he was mildly interested but didn't really care as much because, again, no one had really ever done it. 
lo and behold, maybe a month later, we had a large crime spree that went all across our southern part of our, our uh, metro area. Started with a bank robbery, ended up with like the same bank robbers, got in a car chase, did shootings, uh, carjacked somebody, shot them there, ended up in a neighborhood, shot a, a homeowner. When they confronted him, they took his car and they finally were apprehended. But it was a huge crime scene. Part of the crime scene that uh, was these where they shot the homeowner, there was some large front yards, um, very wealthy neighborhood, and the front yards of these houses were at least a third, closer to maybe half an acre in like a residential area. They didn't know which yard the suspects were in when they shot the homeowner. It was one of about six or seven. Uh, there, It was a different agency, and their crime scene techs had been out with uh, metal detectors searching for a shell casing. So they had the suspects in custody. They had recovered guns. They knew they were good for it, but they really wanted to get the shell casing to tie it all together. So they'd been out there quite a while. And luckily, one of the canine handlers from that agency knew that I'd been doing that a lot. And he called me and said, hey, you want to search for a shell casing down here? I said, absolutely. And from where they described, you know, the what happened, I you know, went with the best area. And they're pretty sure that there was one particular yard cut my dog loose and literally in about three or four or five minutes the dog had indicated on the on the single shell casing that they were looking for in a big huge manicured lawn so there wasn't a lot of distractions but even when the dog indicated I called him off they had to get down on their hands and knees because the shell casing had fallen in between a lot of the blades of grass and they uh, were able to find it but it worked beautifully the cool part of all of that story is, is that when I was a patrol dog handler, I had found suspects who had shot people and found lots of suspects, the actual human being. Every once in a while, I maybe would get a little half page out of boy from our headquarters saying, hey, good job on that, but not anything. The day after I found this one little shell casing, the deputy chief of our department tracked me down to my office at headquarters to personally shake my hand and tell me how amazed he was that my dog could find a shell casing. They were ecstatic, to say the least. It changed their minds dramatically about what our capabilities were. They were so happy with this shell casing. What that also turned into is the detectives at headquarters heard about it, and I started getting calls immediately for shell casings. I started reminding them, hey, you know, if I can find a shell casing, I can also find a gun. So call me on your gun searches. They started calling me on those. I started finding some guns that were hidden where no human being would ever found them. But the dog started finding them. And the, the success really rolled into it. So we had a, a unit that was going to be primarily used for special events. And I was kind of worried about are we going to stay busy enough or are they going to find something for else, to, uh, else for us to do? Possibly some types of uh, cases to file or something that I didn't want to do. I wanted to be a dog handler. So I took it upon myself to find, you know, a need that wasn't being met, ended up being proficient at it, and created that need. We got so many searches for guns and shell casings with our two bomb dogs that they actually expanded the unit. We got a third bomb dog. So all three were bomb dogs, but our primary call-outs and a lot of our utilizations were for guns and shell casings, helping detectives, helping our proactive units, uh, going out anywhere and helping helping uh, people. If there was a foot chase, we could search areas and find guns. 
on lots of the crime scenes. Uh, homicides started calling us on almost every shooting at the end just to wrap it up and make sure that they hadn't missed anything or, or if they were looking for stuff. So it was very, very successful to the point where it was successful enough that in this area, um, lots of the other bomb dogs really took notice. They started doing it a lot more. Our group training exercise, we started emphasizing guns and shell casings during our, our group bomb dog training. And uh, more and more of those handlers started having some really remarkable success finding very important evidence on crime scenes. That turned into, we have several agencies here now who uh, they took what would have been a dual purpose patrol drug dog. They made it a patrol gun dog, a patrol dog that can find guns and shell casings. Simply put, I mean, it, it, here in, in my state, in Colorado, nobody cares that much about drugs anymore. Obviously, we were the first dumb state to legalize marijuana, and it's uh, only getting worse here. So nobody is too um, worried about drugs, it seems like. So the drug dogs aren't getting nearly the work that they used to. So a couple of the agencies here decided that they saw the success we were having finding guns and shell casings. Instead of adding another dual-purpose drug dog, they, they added the, the shell casing and gun dog as a patrol dog, as a dual-purpose dog. Those dogs and those agencies are getting a whole bunch of success and a lot of usage. The reason that I'm bringing this up today is because more so than ever, our profession is under attack. And we really need to always be thinking ahead to, unfortunately, justify our existence and to prove why we're so valuable. So right now, obviously, in California, there's an idiot there in their state legislature that wants to ban all police dogs from being able to apprehend people. The ACLU, those idiots are, are jumping on board with the same thing. So we're under attack, especially patrol dogs, in lots of ways. So if we can go to the table with more and more utilizations showing that, true, our patrol dogs do apprehend people on occasion, and some of those people are bit, very rarely, they mostly find people, have those stats ready, and then in addition say, also that same dog that you want to eliminate found a gun that was taken to school and could have been used in a school shooting, but the dog eliminated that. Start pushing that so that it makes it harder and harder for them to want to get rid of these dogs. So if you're working a, a bomb dog, by all means, start looking for guns and shell casings. I'll explain, especially the shell casings, how we start getting better at it. And then put your name out there and really start stepping up because um, the obviously the bomb dogs aren't under attack to get rid of them, but budgets are, are a problem right now for every agency and certainly staffing. I don't know of an agency in this country where staffing is up to, to even uh, you know regular levels. Most of them are, are very low crucial levels. So if you're the chief and you're looking at staffing, if you can find somebody who's pushing a bomb dog and not doing much else, that could be a, a place that's on the chopping block, or they might, like I said, assign you to other other duties. I was fortunate in all the assignments I had over 27 years of, of working dogs for my agency. I was really fortunate that that's all I ever had to do was work dogs. I didn't have any collateral duties. I didn't, wasn't I would I could handle calls and go cover calls, but they didn't assign me calls, and I wasn't like a patrol officer with a dog. I have lots and lots of people who tell me, man, I, we really want to get to that point. Well, you get to that point, 
by providing enough services and staying so busy that finally your command is going to say, you know what, between the patrol stuff that you're doing and all the tracks you're doing and all the area searches and building checks you're doing, now you're doing all these gun searches and you're finding shell casings and all the stuff you're doing, we might as well just make you a canine unit and leave you alone so that way you're not uh, missing that stuff while you're on patrol. That's what a lot of people want. The way you do that is keep finding extra things. So hopefully it gives you something to think about. Like I said, if you're working a bomb dog, it it really kind of drives me crazy when I talk to people and they say, no, we don't do it because you're missing out on, on a big chunk of what your dog could be doing. And it's a good service that our community wants. So please, uh, you know, consider doing that. Secondly, if you're working a patrol dog that doesn't have additional detection duties, I just don't think there's any reason not to add that as an odor. It's basically a single odor. It's not hard to do. It's super, super easy to do. It's a game you play with them. And basically, I'm not going to go over how we do it step by step. If you are confused by any of it, reach out to me and I'll, I'll go over more of it and I'll walk people through it. But my assumption here is that most people that are listening to this have trained a detection dog, trained a, a, like a dual purpose drug patrol dog or a single purpose uh, detection dog. So you're going to imprint the odor the same way you've always done it. And by imprinting the odor, you need a training aid. And what do you use for a training aid for guns? Use guns. So I know a lot of people have done different things. They've used maybe patches from um, the area where you clean your guns and you get all that oil and all that stinky residue and all that stuff. Or you can use gun parts or um, powders. There's lots of different things that I've heard people use. But scientifically speaking, um, guns smell like guns. And there's a little bit of science behind that where I've seen some studies that show that if you're only using a single part of that odor puzzle to the dog, that they might only pick up that one. So so use guns. Uh, Don't use your own gun because it smells like you. Don't use your partner's gun because it smells like somebody the dog's real familiar with. But if you have the ability, go to your range and borrow some range guns. Um, borrow some some people's guns, you know, when they're uh, on shift, if they're not using them at the time, if they got a, a gun in their car or whatever. But go find guns that does not have your odor on it, empty it, handle it with gloves, and you're going to imprint with that those types of guns. And just use guns. Uh, every different type of gun, whether it's, uh, you know, automatic or a revolver, a, a rifle, shotgun, doesn't matter. Put out guns, have the dogs, imp- you're going to imprint the dogs. I like using a marker, so I've already charged a mark. Dog goes through, smells the odor of whatever gun I've got out. I'm going to mark that and just keep imprinting it. So in whatever manner you imprint your dogs, use guns to imprint them. And if it's a bomb dog, they're going to react pretty quickly, especially if you go out and shoot the gun a few times and get the gun good and dirty. There's a caveat here that um, that there's a difference between Uh, bomb dogs and other dogs that find guns if you have a bomb dog when you're putting out the the guns to find it i caution that you want to start putting out like rags or something with some gun oil on it and proof your dogs off that gun oil the gun oil is the same viscosity and sometimes kind of the same headspace as very common household household oils and i don't want my dog to go into you know a large venue and uh, hit say the the refrigerator behind the in the kitchen where there's a, a motor in there with the same type of oil in it and then we're shutting down a venue because the bomb dog's hitting on something so if it's a bomb dog proof off of gun oil 
If it's not a bomb dog, use gunoil to your advantage and make that one of your odors. After you've put out guns a lot, then you can put out a rag with some gun oil. You could put out powders. Obviously, uh, you know, smaller amounts of powder because there's not going to be much. When I started this uh, unit and, and really started playing with it, my thought was that the, the guns would have to be really freshly fired. From experience on finding guns and training guns, um, very, very few guns are clean to the point where even if they aren't freshly fired, that a uh, good bomb dog can't find them very easily. Very few of us take the grips off our guns and take all the residual out of every nook and cranny of our guns. So there's usually plenty of residual odor on a gun, even if it has been fired for quite a while, that your bomb dog will still find it, whether it's been recently fired or not. And I mistakenly turned down a couple of searches early on because I was told it was something in the order of, you know, Johnny brought dad's gun from the safe to school, but the gun hasn't been shot in three or four years. I mistakenly said, you know, that's not something our dogs could find. But that's something that most bomb dogs with the guns a little bit dirty, they're still going to find it without any problem. So proof off of gun oil and understand that pretty much uh, any any gun's going to have enough residual on it that you're going to be able to find it. And then when you move over to uh, shell casings, you know, and that's, and obviously I'm, I'm going kind of quick on that because this is more about motivating you to do it, not how to do it. So you're going to, once you've, you've imprinted, you're just going to vary your search areas and, and lengthen it up and, and do all the same stuff you would do with any other detection dog. To imprint on shell casings, all I do is I go to the range, I get a mason jar, and I scoop up shell casings that have been shot that day, scoop them up with the mason jar, I don't touch any of them, put the lid on it, and then I go out to the field. I'll go out to the field, I'll pour 8, 9, 10 shell casings in the lid of the mason jar, and then I'll dump them in one little pile, again without touching them. I don't want any human, any human odor, especially my human odor, on them. Clearly, they might have human odor because they got loaded into a gun at some point, but I just don't want mine on there. So um, if I'm going to touch them, it'll be with gloves. But I try not to touch them at all. I just want to uh, use the lid, dump a few in there, and then dump them out there. The one thing that I do right off the bat is that once I've got my shell casings set up, I go back to my car, and I stand there and shake the, the shell casings once or twice. Get the dog real excited, and I tell him, you know, you want to go find some shell casings? You know, let's go look for shell casings shaking that and then I'll have 10 shell casings set up within a foot or two of the car. So the dog comes out and I kind of point to the, the ground. As soon as the dog goes over the odor and reacts to it, then I'm going to mark it because I, I do like markers, pay him for it. And it's like, oh, that was easy. And we're just going to keep varying that and, and start once the dog's finding 10 shell casings real reliably in a larger area, then I'm going to shrink the area down a little bit and take some of the shell casings away go back and have the dog start finding five or six shell casings in a smaller area, keep getting bigger and bigger. Once the dog's finding five shell casings in a big area, I'll shrink it back down, get down to one or two shell casings, and then start working until the dog's finding one single shell casing in larger areas and just keep shrinking it down. When I'll shrink the area down when I shrink the amount of odor down and gradually keep working back up. Every single time that I'm getting the dog out to do a shell casing search, I shake that jar and it has a very distinct sound between the glass and the metal top and the shells in it. And I'll shake it a couple times and tell them what we're going to do. That sets that ritual for the dog to understand, all right, we're searching for shell casings. And if once you start playing that game with him, 
he'll come out of the car and put his head straight down, start searching because he knows there's this is going to be fun and I like doing it. So I keep I keep doing that ritual and I imprint that dog with the shell casings and I imprint him with the ritual at the same time. So every time I go to the car, if I've shaken those shell casings, the dog knows what we're going to do. What that translates into is later once the dog's up and running and I get a call and I'm going to like say to a crime scene, I can go downrange, I can talk to the detectives and find out what area I'm going to search. I'll come back to my car and every night on a break, that dog sees me grab those shell casings. I shake him a couple of times. I walk out in the field. He sees me throw one or two out in the field. I come back, let him out, and he searches and finds them. Now I take the shell casings. I know where I'm going to go, shake them a few times. I walk back into the search area, the live search area, act like I'm going to search, throw a few shell casings. Obviously, I don't. And then I'll come back, and I'll go to somewhere that is definitely clearly out of the search area. I want to be very careful not to introduce any um, evidence into the search area. So I'll cross the street. I'll do something. But I will get very, for sure, I'll be very much out of the search area. Walk over there, and I'll drop a shell casing somewhere. Shake the canister again. Shake the, the jar again. Let the dog out. We'll go search the area. The dog believes, because we do the same thing every time, that you were shaking it. You were over there throwing them. I just got to go find it. You'll see that they'll search that area very, very well. If for some reason you start to, your dog starts to get gassed because it's hard work for him, put him up for a few minutes, start over, shake it, walk out in the field, act like you're throwing it, let him rest, let him get a little bit of water, and then divide the field up. And every time you do that, they're going to start believing there's a shell casing out there. If I go out and I've searched for quite a while and the dog hasn't found anything and I want to take him back to the car to give him a break, that's when I'm going to go over to my shell casing that I've put out in the field that I know is there, walk him along, keep him working, boom, he finds a shell casing. I'll probably pay him, play it up real good, put him away, let him have some water. Now he's like, oh, there's more out there. I want to go find him. I'll start the whole ritual over, go back into the, the search area that hasn't been searched, shake the, the can a little bit or the jar a little bit, act like I'm throwing them, let the dog rest, take them over there and start searching again. And you'll be amazed at how just that little ritual uh, puts that dog into shell casing mode. No different than if you're training a tracking dog, how putting on the harness and putting the leash in the correct position teaches that dog now you're going to track. So it's an easy thing to teach the dog. Both of those are easy to teach. Um, I've done some marker training podcasts before. I'll probably do another one here pretty soon. And that'll kind of wrap up, you know, exactly how, what all I'm doing that, uh, for the training part of it. So you can go through my old podcast and find that marker training one. It'll kind of tell you step-by-step step how, how I train older dogs. But if you have any questions on, on the imprinting or the initial training, because I'm going over it kind of fast, please just reach out to me. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to go in more detail. Uh, again, you know, if you have a patrol dog and uh, or a bomb dog, I just don't see any reason why you're not doing this. It's real simple. So just some food for thought. And again, with the shell casings, it's just such an easy module to, to start doing. And then I do it every single night and just keep uh, playing that game with them. And it's a fun game because I'll do it before they break. And then once they find it, they play, then they get to go take a break. So just food for thought on that. We're going to get into a little bit deeper stuff on uh, uh, this whole subject right when we come back from this.
So I'd like to take a quick minute here to thank one of my sponsors of this episode, um, catsplatinum.com. So CATS is a canine activity tracking system. It's known as CATS Platinum. It's a dynamic record-keeping program designed specifically for police canine operations training deployments. It's designed to protect officers and agencies from potential liability. It can be used from any platform without the need for any software or application download. CATS Platinum has been developed by Bob Eden. Uh, it's proven in-depth analysis. It has proven in-depth analysis of training activity and deployment of all the police dogs. The system provides a court-ready documentation at the touch of a button, and is your first line of defense to a handler or agency against potential or direct vicarious liability issues. You can access cats anywhere at any time on any system. Just uh, log in and you're on. Explore Cats Platinum for 45 days for free. And check it out at catsplatinum.com. So once you're up and running, you've got your dog uh, doing all the searches. One of the questions I get is, you know, do we need to certify the dog? Because most of these searches are going to be administrative searches, meaning we're not going to use this gun or shell casing search to provide probable cause. But I think as an agency, it's important to still do some type of certification. Almost all of the national associations do guns as a, a certification. I think the idea just to, to show that the dog is certified, that he's doing, you know, meeting some national standard and keep your quality control up, I think is just a good idea. Are you going to have to uh, testify often or ever in court on a lot of these searches? Probably not. But if somehow you fall into something that turns into a court case, being certified obviously will be, you know, much better than not being certified. So, Again, these are mostly going to be administrative searches, meaning we're not going to use these gun dogs to provide probable cause. There are going to be times where the detectives already have a solid search warrant and they're searching a house looking for a murder weapon that they can't find. They're going to call you, see if your dog can locate the gun or whatever. Or it's going to be a foot chase and you're just going to be searching an area for a, a tossed gun or after a crime scene when they're processing it. Um, the, the detectives already secured warrants if needed. You'll just be doing... Uh, just a search, you know, no different than, you know, a lot of times maybe using a metal detector outside to try and find a shell casing. You're just going to use a better tool. And uh, speaking of that, <clears throat> and speaking of the metal detector, I can tell you from uh, personal experience, our dogs can beat the metal detectors uh, pretty easily. So if you have a crime lab that is out using metal detectors a lot, go out and do a training day with them. How you know scatter some shell casings around, see how uh, difficult it is for them to find it with a metal detector. Then bring your dog out, show them that your dog will find it. Most of the crime uh, scene people will then start calling you directly because that way they're not walking around with a metal detector and they get to to doing other stuff and let you go do the work that you know we love to do. So. Most of the time, these are going to be administrative searches, and they're not going to provide us probable cause. Now, there are certain times I've I met some uh, handlers, and they worked for um, a state parole agency, and their dogs could provide probable cause um, for them in limited ways because the felons that they were going to, to see um, were not supposed to have a gun. But there's a lot of commonalities and odors that we could have and a lot of legal ways to to possess the odors that um, would be the same as a gun, but not a gun. You know, for instance, you know, maybe a, a, a felon who can't have a gun 
what if for some reason he has you know some black powder in his car obviously he's not supposed to have that but it's probably not as illegal as being a possession of a weapon by a previous offender so I got that question quite a bit when I was still working about trying to use the dogs to develop probable cause especially to get entry into a car so a lot of times maybe a you know one of our proactive units would call and say hey if we stop this car can we use them the way we use a narc dog and if the dog hits on the outside of the car can we get in the car to search for a gun because you know the guy who's driving it we know is not supposed to have a gun my answer always was no you know find a way in the car then i'll come search it for a hidden compartment for the gun or whatever but you're gonna have to figure out a different way in the car because i didn't want to get in that habit of of them thinking that my dog can get into cars for them like a narc dog can um so and the the flip side of that too is um a lot of training that i did and i've done it quite a bit is what i and and anybody who's listening to this if you're running a gun dog and you've had a different experience than what i'm going to describe please reach out to me because maybe i have a training defect but what i found was that um to find uh to have the dog's alert on the outside of a car in a consistent and reliable pattern. Um, I just didn't, I didn't have that kind of luck like you do with a narc dog. I shouldn't say luck, any, that kind of consistency like you do with a narc dog. I played with it with uh, cars at our car pound that had very, um, very sterile area and would put a gun in a car and let it sit for quite a while. Very, very few times to have a dog actually alert to the outside of the car with that gun. Maybe if it was right next to the door seam or right next to the trunk seam. But if I put a gun, you know, deep in the car, even if I let it cook for long periods of time, on a very sterile car, one where if there was dope, the dope dogs would be able to hit it. Or if it's a bomb dog, the bomb dogs would be able to hit the odor coming out of that car. I personally did not have much luck getting dogs to be consistent and reliable on the exterior of cars. Um, having said that, I've, I've shared that message with lots of people I've trained and seen the same results in a lot of places. So um, with that, that also I would tell our gang guys or, you know, any of our proactive teams, one more reason why, you know, you, I just don't want to be the one who says the car is clean and then when they search it, find a gun in there. You know, I think it's important as dog handlers to always understand our limitations and promote ourselves and, you know, try to get as much work as we can, but stay within the realm of what we can really do. Don't, don't uh, claim your dog can do something when they're not super reliable about it. So that was one of the, the big issues we had as, you know, just trying to resolve that. But what we did is worked with those proactive units and showed them that we could find guns in cars that they were missing because a lot of those guns are in traps somewhere and they're not uh, being found by just police officers, you know, just digging around and the dogs were finding them. And I know quite a few agencies that use gun dogs in that manner and they're finding a lot of hidden guns in uh, cars and houses and stuff. So that's why, uh, again, I don't really recommend getting in the habit of searching the exterior cars, looking to see if the dog will alert on it. Personally, I haven't had a lot of uh, success that way. And again, I don't think uh, most of the time these dogs are not going to provide probable cause to, for a search warrant or in furtherance of a search warrant. It might be one piece of a larger search warrant, but in general, that's just not going to do it. So let me give a, a quick thanks to another sponsor of this show, DemonyBiteSuits.com. 
Um, if you've been listening to the show the last month, you've heard me mention that uh, personally I like to wear Demony Bite suits. I think they're a good suit. Um, I've tried lots and lots of different suits over the years. Uh, Demonet is one of my favorites. So uh, Demonet is D-E-M-A-N-E-T. So if you Google Demonet Bite Suits, you're going to find DemonetBiteSuits.com. They really are an industry leader for bite suits. They've been around since the 70s. They do sports, sport dogs, and law enforcement, military. So check out DemonetBiteSuits.com. They can walk you through the ordering process for your agency or for yourself. You can get a custom suit there to your size, to your colors, to whatever you want. So check out DemonetBiteSuits.com. And finally, uh, CompleteCanineTraining.com. They're out of Colorado, uh, Complete Canine Training. Chris has some dogs there that are green dogs. He's got some pre-trained dogs that are available. Um, They're doing a lot of training there. He really wants to uh, do more training and and focus on scenario-based stuff for training. So get a hold of uh, Chris at CompleteCanineTraining.com. His phone number is 720-204-1929. Uh, see what they have to offer there at CompleteCanineTraining.com. So I kind of want to wrap this up with, uh, you know, hopefully this episode is just something for you to think about. That, again, my, my whole thought process is we need to be busy and we need to have stats that we can show that are, are good, solid stats. And nothing like finding maybe a gun in a school that a kid brought to, to school that day and they've they've locked the school down and now they're, they've called you to come search for it maybe a shell casing and a big crime spree like I got lucky and found. Anything that, that you can do that's going to be you know, a, a big noteworthy find is a good thing right now. It always is, but I'm telling you right now, especially the patrol dog handlers, if, you're, if you have a patrol dog and he's doing tracking evidence and patrol uh, or maybe just patrol, I can't see a reason in the world why you wouldn't just try this. It's not going to hurt the dog to, to learn another odor, get him out finding guns, looking for shell casings, helping out other parts of your department, getting you more work and more notoriety. And then again, if they really start looking at your unit, this is going to be something that just adds more value and they're getting more bang for their buck on that. So, you know, maybe also if you're, if you're working a dual purpose patrol narc dog, Maybe uh, I've motivated you now to start thinking, you know, maybe I want to grab a Labrador and just throw him in the back of the car. I say Labrador, but, you know, any any floppier dog, just because I think a floppier dog is easier. It's just, they're, you know, they're, they're easy to have around the house. They're easy to have in the car. They're easy to have around your patrol dog. Very, very few Labradors have any dog aggression. So it's easy to have your Labrador with your your. Uh, patrol dog if you want to have them at least be social to each other if you're going to go out and give them both a break at the same time just those kind of things but you could use any dog you want but maybe this is going to motivate you to start thinking to go work a second dog i loved working two dogs when i was on the street it just gave me twice the twice as much training to do but i got twice the number of calls so i ended up doing a, a second dog and that dog was a gun dog and a currency dog so maybe this is going to motivate you to think, you know, I want to do a second dog and come up with any combination you want. I strongly suggest doing guns and shell casings and something else. I did guns and currency. You could do guns and uh, um, maybe tracking. If your dog, if your patrol dog doesn't track um, and you want to have a really good tracking dog, selection test a, a Labrador or a patrol dog, you know, or a uh, a dog that would be worthy of patrol, a Malinois, Shepherd, um, Dutch Shepherd, whatever. And, you know, get a dog that tracks really well, maybe better than your patrol dog does. 
or or a dog that you know again what would be nice if you have a patrol dog that tracks and you end up with a labrador that tracks you can use that dog for nonviolent uh tracks you know maybe a lost kid lost alzheimer's patient something that you might be worried about your patrol dog tracking on now you've got another tool and those are the kind of things that administrators love we have a lost alzheimer's patient we want a dog to track him and when we say well we shouldn't do that because you might bite this alzheimer's patient now all of a sudden it's like yep let me get my my second dog out of the car and uh, we'll go track that person so there's lots of combinations you could do with a second dog and to me it goes back to you know i've mentioned several times on this podcast that if what you want to do is be a dog handler and not have to um, be a, a patrol officer with a dog and not be answering as many calls or any calls you know, build that program for yourself. And one real good way to do it is be so busy because you have two dogs and you're training them and you're deploying them all that, you know, they're going to realize that this guy's really busy and he's, you know, they're doing so much work. It's better just to let them go do that stuff and we'll have somebody else write the car accident reports. So all those things, you know, kind of, kind of work in together. But again, the whole purpose of this podcast, just give you some food for thought, really maybe start planting the seed to think, you know, if you're not doing this or no one in your, in your agency is doing it, it maybe is time to start kind of thinking about it. You know, there's been a few times where um, I got called and helped search a few areas for agencies that had pretty large canine units, but they were stuck in the mindset of we do patrol and narc and that's it. And then we went down, a couple of us went down and found a gun in one of the neighboring agencies area. They've got a, a large canine unit. If I was in that canine unit, I'd be frustrated that somebody else had to come in my city and do what we should be doing. So, you know, just it's just stuff to think about. You'll get the work. It's out there. I'm happy to answer any questions if, uh, you know, I've kind of gone through this quickly. But if you have questions about, you know, the training or how you use them or any of that stuff, just reach out to me. Um, the best way to reach out to me is... It, to me is the email. I'll put that in my uh, show notes and you can uh, email me anytime. Um, and I'm happy to answer any questions. If I get the same question a few times, I'll come back on here and kind of clarify stuff. So hopefully this has been good. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. And uh, I've gotten a few suggestions from the last podcast where I said, hey, you know, if you got anybody that you want on here or any subjects, I've got a few good ones. So I've, I'm answering some of those and I've got a couple of podcasts with uh, different guests and answering different questions. I've got those coming up here real soon, all based on the feedback I'm getting. So I appreciate that. Again, check out my webpage. It's policecaninetraining.net. If you scroll down a little bit, you can see my calendar. Um, I've got some classes lined up. I've got a few more in the, the works that I haven't put up there yet. But I really like, uh, now that I'm retired, I like uh, going around and doing these hands-on classes. So if you're interested in that, just uh, check the calendar out. Either come to one of the classes or host one of your own. It's pretty easy to host a class. So all the information is on there on policecaninetraining.net. And it's all on there. And I you know, look forward to hopefully seeing everybody at, at a hands-on class here pretty soon. We could even do a class on you know starting dogs on gun detection. Whatever it is that you'd like to do. So I appreciate everybody listening to this. And I, again, I appreciate all the feedback I'm getting. If you can please take a second at the end of this podcast and scroll down and, and rate the podcast. Uh, it still needs more people rating it because it just helps uh, the it, uh, work its way up in the search engine a little bit since it's still kind of a new podcast. Thanks, everybody. And please be safe out there. Mm-hmm.